Well, grace and peace to you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you have a Bible, you can be opening to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And as Tom said, we began The Chosen this last Wednesday night, so season 3. Um, we're right in the Sermon on the Mount, so early in Jesus' ministry. But if you haven't been coming to that, would uh, encourage you to do so. It's a wonderful, wonderful series. And if you cannot make it on Wednesday night, then um, watch it at home. Watch it with your family. Invite your neighbors over. It really is powerful. And so I want to begin with this scripture reading, 1 Corinthians 6, beginning in verse 1. We are, if you're visiting here this morning, uh, we are in a series in 1 Corinthians. And we're working our way through this letter from Paul and seeing how it speaks to us today. And so hear the word of the Lord. When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more, then, matters pertaining to this life? So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers? But brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers. To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. The Word of the Lord. Well, imagine life in Corinth in the first century. And we've talked a little bit about this before, but, but, but Corinth is this important city in Greece. It is a city that is strategically located, and because of this, there's a lot of trade and commerce that, that's going on in this city. It, it's a city that valued philosophy and ideas. It, it's a pagan city, and it has its own temple to Aphrodite, and there's temple prostitutes and sacrifices and all this going on. And it was in this city that a church was established. And one of the main claims of Christianity is that we are different. We are followers of Jesus. We are unlike the world. We live according to the teachings of Jesus and we are trying to be like him in every aspect of our lives. And so part of the appeal to the people of Corinth would have been that the church here is unlike all the pagans. They don't visit the temple prostitutes. They don't celebrate drunkenness. They love and care for one another. They are family. After all, one of the teachings of Jesus is this. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. And so Jesus wants outsiders 
to see our love for one another. He, he wants it to be something that attracts unbelievers to the faith. And so you have ancient Corinth, which is a pagan city through and through. And then you have this small group of Christians who are meeting in someone's house who claim to be different, who claim to follow the teachings of Jesus and to love one another. What happens next? Well, as we learned last week in chapter 5, there are rumors that one of these Christians is sleeping with his stepmother, something even the pagans disapprove of. And then what we learned this morning in chapter 6 is that some of these Christians show up in court and they cannot get along with one another. And, and one Christian has sued another and they've taken their, their case to the pagan authorities. They cannot settle their own disputes. What a mess. Well, chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians picks up right where chapter 5 leaves off. And the church's mess is overflowing out into the world. And pagans are, are taking notice. And something has, has gone wrong in the church, and Paul is trying to get this church back on the right track. Why is Christianity in decline in America in our day and age? Well, there's really no simple answer to this question. But, but one of the reasons is that some churches have lost their way. They've gotten off the right track. And what happened in Corinth still happens today, and it's not good for the life of the church. It stymies growth and evangelism. It turns our children and our grandchildren away from the faith. And who can blame them? Imagine them listening to Jesus being proclaimed on Sunday only to see members of the church go to court against one another on Monday. And so seeing something like that would be detrimental to the faith of a young person. When our profession of faith does not align with our actions in the world, it has negative consequences. And churches begin to decline and eventually die. What we read in this part of the letter to Corinth is a living word for us today. It speaks to us in our own circumstances. And as we submit to this word, it guides us in the ways that we ought to go. And so what we find here are three keys to getting the church back on track. And Paul is speaking directly to the church, but, but these keys are not just for the church. They're also keys for life. And so if your life is a mess, or if your life has gotten off track, then, then what's written here in this chapter is for you as well. And so the first one is this. Focus on your shortcomings, not the shortcomings of others. You know, the Bible says a lot about judging and judgment, and it's important that we get all of that right. And so don't just pull out one verse on judgment and think, here it is, the final word. You know, that's what a lot of people do. Paul addresses judgment here in chapters 5 and 6 of 1 Corinthians. And in fact, we have to go back to the end of chapter 5 to get the full context of what is being said. And so just listen to this. 
And, and think about what he says about judging. He says, for what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more, then, matters pertaining to this life? That's clear, right? Well, what's going on here is that Paul has two circumstances pertaining to judgment in mind. And so he first addresses how we are to judge now, in this lifetime. And then he then moves on to events that will happen in the future. And this is when the saints are going to judge the world and angels. And we're not going to get into all of that this morning because the Bible doesn't explain it. We're told what's going to happen, and we're going to understand it when it does happen. Okay? Until then... Uh, we need to focus on what is said first about judgment because that's really important. And so here's the part for us now. He says, for what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. And so a healthy church is not one that is obsessed with the problems of the world. A healthy church is focused on being a light in the dark world. And this message that we find in 1 Corinthians is the same one that we find in the Gospels. So, for instance, think about this famous passage in the Gospel of John. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And think about what comes next. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn or to judge the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Churches that succeed are not churches that are focused on judging the world or condemning the world. Churches that succeed are focused on sharing the good news about Jesus. They are serving their communities. They are helping people in need. They are providing hope to people who have no hope. And this is not only the key to a healthy church, it's the key to a healthy life. People who obsess over the problems of others are not happy people. People who worry about what everyone else is doing wrong are not joyful people. And so focusing on the sins and and shortcomings of others, that does not lead to an abundant life. It does not lead to a healthy community and Christian friendships. And so when we focus on the faults of others, we're going to continually be disappointed because we cannot change someone else's behavior. We cannot force someone else to do what we want them to do. We cannot force someone to believe the way that we do. And so if this is where we're directing all of our energy and all of our attention, then we're going to be frustrated and we're going to be irritated with the world. What we can change is we can change ourselves and we can become a better person. And we can become a better follower of Jesus. And we can do good. And we can serve others. And we can continue the the ministry that Jesus has left us. And we can be a light to this world. 
And when we focus on these things, we experience joy and fulfillment. And doing these things builds community. And it creates opportunities to share the gospel and invite people to be a part of what God is doing here among us. And so this is why Paul tells the church in Corinth not to judge the world. Because the world is going to be the world. And so don't be surprised when you get up tomorrow and you turn on the TV. Don't be surprised when you get up tomorrow and you pick up the newspaper. The the Corinthians were not surprised when they walked past the temple of Aphrodite and there were a thousand prostitutes outside. Our focus needs to be on Jesus and drawing closer to him. We have no control over the world. But we do have control over our walk with Christ and what it is that we do with our lives. And so we need to focus on our shortcomings and not the shortcomings of others. The second key to getting the church back on track is this. Make Jesus more important than anything else. You remember um, what Paul said back in chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians. He said, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. This is what matters. This is what is important. Churches lose their way when they put anything above Jesus. What's going on in Corinth? Well, they are professing their faith in Jesus as Lord on Sunday, and then they're going out and they're suing one another on Monday. And so Jesus is not the most important thing in their lives. In fact, Paul says to them in verse 7, he says, To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. And so there are some things that are more important than winning. Paul is telling them that, you know, even if you go out and you win your lawsuit, you've already lost. They have been defeated because they have made winning more important than following Jesus. You see, winning is not everything. We can win an argument and still lose. We can win a court case and still lose. We lose when our witness is compromised. And the Corinthians were compromising their witness by taking one another to court. And so sometimes we have to ask the question, how will this be perceived by people in the world? And what is right and what is wise are two different things sometimes. Did the Corinthians have a right to take one another to court? Sure they did. But it was not wise. They were compromising their witness for something that did not matter in the end. And rather than focus on on how they had been wronged, their focus needed to be on Jesus because he's more important than the wrongs that we suffer. And he is of more value than the trials that we face. And if our approach to life is one of blame and finger-pointing, then we're going to live a miserable life. If we try and go through life without practicing forgiveness, then we're going to live a, a life of loneliness and isolation. 
And so we need to live for something bigger than ourselves. We need to live for Christ. And if the church gets off track or if, or if your life gets off track, then just take inventory of your priorities and make sure that you're putting Jesus first because churches ruin their reputation and they destroy their witness anytime that they put something or someone ahead of Jesus. The third key to getting the church back on track is this. Live sacrificially. And so sacrifice is at the heart of Christianity. It's not about me. It's not about me. We need to repeat those words over and over again. The symbol of Christianity is a cross. And we need to think about that and think about what it means. A cross where, where Jesus laid down his life for humanity. He gave up any rights that he had and he sacrificed himself for others. And we ourselves are called to pick up our cross and to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Paul sums up the mind of Christ in Philippians 2 with this statement. He says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. So there's no place for selfishness in Christianity. We are to deny ourselves, we are to crucify our egos, and we are to live for others. Notice the instructions that the Corinthians receive in the latter part of verse 7. And so he says, to have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? Now that's radical. We come to passages like this and we want to explain them away. We want to find some way around these passages. We proclaim, surely Paul did not mean that we are to suffer wrong or that we are to be defrauded, defrauded, even though that's exactly what he says. And so we want to find that loophole. And yet, what we read here sounds exactly like the commands of Jesus that are found in the Sermon on the Mount. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. Life is meaningful when we don't cling to it with all that we have. Jesus says in Matthew 10, verse 39, whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Life is meaningful when we give it away. It's meaningful when we sacrifice for others. It's meaningful when we choose a life of service. It's meaningful when we determine to bless those who have cursed us rather than to grow bitter and to grow angry. The way of the cross is a path to a meaningful life. And so the principle of sacrifice that we're given here in 1 Corinthians 6 is also the key to reaching a lost and dying world. Paul is saying this to the church in Corinth. He's saying, why were you thinking of yourselves rather than thinking of the world? 
Why not suffer wrong? Why not be defrauded? The, the key to reaching a lost and dying world is sacrifice, not power. And too often, the church has thought that seeking power is what's going to save the world. If we can just beat the other side and force them to submit, then we can save the world. But this is not what Paul says. It's not what Jesus teaches. The only way to save a lost and dying world is the way of Jesus. We're to suffer. We're to sacrifice. We're to give of ourselves so that the world will know that we love them. They don't just hear it. They see it. They see Jesus in us. And then they come to know the love of Christ. And so a healthy church is not one that is puffed up, one that is all about promoting itself and all of its programs. A healthy church is not into prestige and making a name for itself. A healthy church is not one that is seeking after power. A healthy church is one that is committed to sacrifice. It serves the community and it lives for others. It welcomes the poor and the downtrodden. It follows in the footsteps of Jesus and the same is true for our lives. A meaningful life is not one that is lived to please and to satisfy ourselves. A meaningful life is one that is lived in sacrifice and service to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, it's easy to get off track. It happens all the time. We are you know, persuaded by an idea. We are tempted by maybe something that we desire. We give in to voices that take us away from Christ. And this is why in the middle of this chapter, Paul reminds the Corinthians and he reminds us of who we are. He says, but you, you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. We have been washed. We have been sanctified. We have been justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is us. This is who we are. And we need to remember it. And we need to be reminded of it over and over again so we don't get off track and we don't drift from our calling. You are somebody. You have a purpose. You have a vocation in this life and you have a calling. You belong to Jesus. Don't forget it. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you this morning and we thank you for this reminder that we find here in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We thank you for these words which tell us who we are, that we belong to you, that we are washed and sanctified and justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. May we live like this each and every day. May we focus all of our 
attention toward Jesus. And may we go out into the darkness of this world and be a light and proclaim the good news. We're so grateful for Jesus who came to this earth to teach us how to live and who sacrificed himself on that cross so that we might have forgiveness and that we might follow in his footsteps. We pray this in his name. Amen.